Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? Well, I think we all knew this podcast was coming. Should we as Christians eat pork and shellfish? Should they be a part of our diet? You know, this question has been rumbling around in my head for so many years. Knowing that in the Old Testament, you know, we read that God gave the Israelites the specific dietary law, which did not include pork and shellfish. But in the New Testament, we see that Jesus declares all foods clean. And so I think for me, as I think for a lot of us, we just kind of take that as this kind of face value, like, whoop, food's clean, all good, totally fine for my body. When in fact, I'm not sure that's what it means. I mean, I'm not saying I know for sure. (laughs) I'm saying that does it mean the foods are now not dirty anymore? They're appropriate? They're clean for the body? Or does it mean they're spiritually clean? That these foods cannot come between you and God? That they have no bearing on your salvation? I'm kind of thinking it's the latter. But listen, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to have this discussion. um, And I just want you to know, I'm not going to give you like, okay, this is what you have to do now. No. No, listen, I love bacon. It has been an anchor meal for me. If you're in the Christian Health Club, you'll see. I'm like, okay, what's your anchor meals? And you know, here I ask people what their anchor meals are when we have a guest. And one of mine for a long time has been bacon um, wrapped in lettuce with some avocado and sprinkled with everything but the base everything but the bagel seasoning so delicious and so good right so i mean i love bacon um and i love shellfish as well all of it but when we had dr axe on and i had the opportunity to ask him that question does he work in shellfish and you heard him say he does not and I was like, oh, man, now I really have to face this. I've got to face this head on and dig a little bit more deeply into it and share the information with you. And so that's what we're going to do. There is no judgment. There is no specific directive. You can take this information and do what you want with it. But I think it's interesting food for thought, like legit food for thought. And what was interesting also, you know, around the time I was going to interview Dr. Axe, I woke up one morning, um, came downstairs, drank my water, made my coffee, and I could just feel God impressing the word Leviticus in my brain. You know, I did not put it there by myself. It was like Leviticus, Leviticus, Leviticus. I'm like, all right, 
I guess I'm supposed to read Leviticus this morning. So that's what I did. And it's where we really dig into all of these dietary food laws. I know that subconsciously I was already kind of thinking about it, knowing that I was going to ask Dr. Axe about it. But um, I do believe the Lord was guiding me to to go and read Leviticus and to dig a little bit deeper and then, you know, start this whole process of just looking at this and talking about this. So that's what we'll do today. And let's start in Leviticus. Let's hear what God has to say, what he tells the Israelites. So we'll start with the the land animals here. God said to Moses and Aaron, say to the Israelites of all the animals that live on the land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. Okay. And the animals, the Bible specifically mentions that do not make this cut. Okay. Because they do not meet these criteria and some of them meet one, but not the other. Um, but those include the camel, the hyrax, the rabbit, and the pig. And so the Bible says, you must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Now, when it comes to seafood, the Bible says, of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. Anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales is to be regarded as unclean by you. In fact, in some versions, the Bible says repeatedly, they are detestable to you detestable, which is pretty strong language. Okay. But like I said, over in the the New Testament, um, Jesus has some things to say when it comes to clean and unclean foods and, and talking about it. So let's hear that. In Mark 7, 14 through 19, it says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Don't you understand, he asked. Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside that can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. That's what the Bible says. Okay. Now there's another interesting passage where God, um, God uses overcoming food rules, quote unquote, to teach a Peter a lesson. So in Acts 10, Peter has this vision, okay, of all of these animals descending from the heavens, like this sheet of animals, like coming down from the heavens, some of those that would have been considered clean by Jewish dietary law and some that wouldn't have been considered clean. And there came a voice that said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And then the thing was taken up to heaven. Okay, this vision. So this was really puzzling to Peter. He's like, what is going on? And so while he's wondering about this and trying to figure out what God is telling him about meat, you know, and food, he's called to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile who believed in Jesus and wanted to be a follower. So it turns out that Peter's vision was not about unclean meat, but about quote unquote, unclean people. 
people outside the Jewish religion and culture were considered unclean. And the disciples had been targeting fellow Jews and spreading the message of Jesus. But just because the Gentiles were not following Jewish ways, including dietary habits and law, God was telling Peter, that doesn't matter because Jesus is for everybody. Now, in 1 Corinthians 8, 8, it says, Food will not make us acceptable to God. We are not inferior if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. And then there's Romans 14, 1 through 3. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Okay, so again, you know, we know that Jesus declared all foods clean. We know that we are not bound by any religious laws about what we should eat. Nothing can come between you and the Lord when it comes to food, okay? But does that mean the food is actually clean and good for your body and healthy? You know, it was interesting when I was looking into all this and kind of researching around, which, by the way, will take you into the deepest rabbit hole ever. And it's so interesting because there's no consensus on this. Okay. Some people are like, yes, the foods are clean and you can eat them and go for it. And then others are like, nope or not. And one of the interesting points that somebody brought up and I thought is worth mentioning here is the fact that the Bible says God does not change. Malachi 3.6, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. And so we know God's not capricious. He's not changing his mind like, eh, you know, thinking one thing one day and another thing another day. So it is interesting to think of that in the context of this, you know, uh, did he change his mind about these foods? Did he call them unclean and detestable? And then change his mind and decide they're clean and good for you? Interesting point to think about. I don't think Jesus ate pork or shellfish. Pretty sure that didn't happen. Like I said, every time we see Jesus in the Bible, he's eating bread and fish and having some vino. I like it. And let's remember also that Jesus sent a bunch of demons out of a man's body and into a herd of pigs. Do you remember that story in Matthew 5? This man full of demons, you know, saw Jesus from a distance and he ran and fell on his knees in front of Jesus and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And the man replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Mean, meaning, there was many demons in that man's body. I think of like this multi-personality demon kind of person, kind of situation happening. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So there, there was this large herd of pigs feeding on a nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And so he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. That is quite a dramatic vision. Can you imagine all these 2,000 pigs 
these demons entering your spirit and then them like going over a cliff and drowning. Holy moly. So, you know, that doesn't conjure up a lot of respect for pigs in that scenario. But let's talk about it. What's wrong with pork? What's wrong with the pigs? Well, let's start with the criteria given by God. They must have split hooves and they must chew the cud. Like I said, some of the animals meet one of the criteria, but not both. And that includes the pig, which does have split hooves, but does not chew the cud. The camel, on the other hand, chews the cud, but does not have split hoof. Okay. So they have to, you know, they, uh, they have to meet one of these criteria. They may not meet both. Leviticus 11.7. And the pig, though it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. So that leads us to, you know, think about what is the significance of chewing the cud? Now, this was great, you know, because I, the only animal I'd ever heard of really chewing the cud are cattle. So I'm like, babe, talk to me. Talk to me about chewing the cud. <laughs> what is this? And so I learned all about ruminants. Okay, my husband and I had a little bonding moment over ruminants. Lovely. Animals that chew their cud are known as ruminants. Ruminant animals are herbivores, meaning they only eat plants. Um, and they have a unique digestive system. Instead of one compartment to the stomach, they have four. And the largest compartment, the rumen, is the main place for digestion. It is filled with billions of tiny microorganisms that are able to break down grass and other tough plant matter than animals with one stomach, like humans, chickens, and pigs. You know, plant matter and grasses that we cannot digest, but that ruminants can because of this unique digestive system. So some ruminant animals include cattle, deer, goats, antelope, bison, buffalo, moose, elk, all right? And the bacteria in the rumen help the animal digest, extract nutrients, and turn their food into energy. Now we as humans have some of that going on in the large intestine, but ruminants are uniquely adapted for microbial fermentation in the rumen to be able to process plant matter in a way that we as humans cannot. The rumen is like a big fermentation factory. And this is why they can eat grass and other plant roughage that we cannot, that we cannot digest. And what's really cool is that because they are able to do that, we as humans reap the benefits of plant nutrition by the way of the animal as an intermediary that process it for us through this specially designed stomach where all of this magic happens. But it's not magic, you know? It's the incredible, efficient design of our creator. The earth nourishes the animal and the animal in turn nourishes us. You know, what we cannot digest, digest, I mean, you look out, you're at the ranch and you look out across the pasture, there's not a lot of food you can eat there. You know, I talk about that all the time. If you're, you know, dropped in the middle of a pasture. I always think about the American Indians living out there. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to pull up a handful of grass and chomp this down or grab this leaf or do this. You know, that doesn't, we can't digest that, but these animals can, and we can utilize that nutrition. It's funny. Have you ever seen that meme that says, I'm a vegetarian. I eat beef. <laughs> And it's funny, but when you think about it, it's kind of true in this bigger picture kind of way. You know, my husband has always 
marveled at this. You know, he'll be sitting in the pasture, he'll be looking at the cattle. He's like, isn't it amazing that these animals basically turn grass into a steak? You know, and he's like, there is no lab in the world that can replicate that. It is God's given design. You know, they cannot convert grass into meat. Science can make all the soy-based lab meat they want. Bill Gates can try to outsmart God and make his whatever kind of fake meat he's trying to, you know, back. But no matter what they do, they can never recreate what the almighty creator has designed. Now, with this multi-chamber stomach and digestive system, ruminants take longer to digest, which means they have more time to break down, process, and get rid of toxins compared to an animal with a fast digestive system like a pig. So pigs process their food in about four hours, unlike a ruminant, which takes closer to 24 hours. Okay, so there's a lot, not a lot of detox time for pigs to help filter out some of these bad bacteria and tapeworms and parasites that end up getting stored in the, in the pig's body, right? And let's remember that pigs and humans, um, we store a lot of toxins in our fat, by the way. We're designed this way to help keep toxins away from our vital organs, the fact acts as kind of a buffer, um, which is um, thank you God for that design. But it's why um, it's why some people might be more obese or hang on to more weight if they're more toxic and the body's trying to protect protect itself, you know, from being exposed to these toxins within the body. So it creates more fat cells or you know sucks away toxins in the fat, and they there's more fat there. Um, and it's also why it's dangerous to lose weight too quickly because when you do you can release these toxins too quickly um it might be too much for your body to process and handle you know but animals store toxins in their fat and other parts of their body so overall you know we just have to remember that um what we are what we eat eats and what the toxins that our animals have and so we do run the risk of ingesting them when we eat pork or really any any meat that might be harboring um, toxins or any of these pathogens, right? That's why we're always talking about upgrading to the cleanest version of meat that you can find that is available to you that you can afford and really focusing on um, choosing animal sourced foods based on, you know, what they eat. The more they eat their God-given diet, like these ruminant animals that we are uh, told and given the green light to eat, you know, the healthier they're going to be for the body. Another thing we have to remember is that pigs eat dirty. They're scavengers. They'll eat just about anything, including their own poop and the carcasses of other dead pigs. So you couple that with the fact that they don't have this intricate multi-stomach digestive process, and it leads to a higher probability of harboring bad bacteria, parasites, viruses, you know, all these things they can pass on to us. I've talked a lot here recently about having parasites and how it's much more common than we think. And pork is a, is a pretty well-known source of that. You know, we are what we eat eats. And that can be a little gross to think about it. <laughs> We're pork eaters. Another point that we want to consider with pigs is that their meat is typically higher in omega-6 fatty acids than ruminants. So too many omega-6s in the diet create inflammation in the body. Okay, you know how I'm always talking about how unhealthy vegetable and seed oils are? Well, that's because they are high in omega-6 fatty acids, which are pro-inflammatory. Now we need omega-6s in the body, okay? But we can get plenty from real foods, 
We get plenty in our diet. And for the instant, for instance, when vegetable oils were added on the scene in the, you know, mid 1900s, early to mid 1900s, they added this whole new source of omega-6s. And then when we started feeding animals, corn and soy, which are also high in omega-6s, and then we eat their meat. So there's more omega-6 sources. Okay, so we just have all of this new sources of omega-6s in the diet. And so these inflammatory pathways are being more fueled. That's why it's a problem. You know, we have to have this nice balanced ratio of omega-6s and omega-3 fatty acids in our body. You you know about, you've heard about the importance of omega-3 fatty acids. It's because they are anti-inflammatory. And so it's why you hear it's important to eat fish, you know, high in EPA and DHA, and maybe, you know, have fish oil, because that's anti-inflammatory, right? And you want to keep that omega-6, omega-3 in balance, so you're not over-fueling the the inflammatory pathways. Now, pork has a high concentration of omega-6. Part of that is um, because of the way they digest, which is different from ruminant animals, and part of it is because of the way pigs eat and are fed. Again, they had fed the high amounts of soy and corn, which are high in omega-6s, and because they lack the benefit of that rumen for processing, more of it ends up in their meat on your plate. And as a side note here, that is also true with chicken. Both are high in omega-6 acids. Now, ruminant animals have a better omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. It's better balanced. There is less omega-6s. Okay, so if you are eating a lot of pork, overdoing the bacon, getting a big hit of omega-6 fatty acids. Now listen, like I said, I love bacon. I'm as sad about it as you are. Now, if you're eating pork that was raised on pasture instead of being fed corn and soy, it won't be as high in inflammatory omega-6s, but it will still be higher than a ruminant animal. Okay, I've gotten really sloppy, I'm sad to say, about the kind of pork I've been eating Um, It has not been pasture raised. And I really do think if you're going to eat pork, that's the way to go. You know, it's more expensive, but you know, again, you are what you eat. And so if you want bacon, order it from a farm where the pigs are raised on pasture. It will have a better omega-3, omega-6 ratio and the quality of meat will be better. But still, there's a lot stacked here against pork, right? So We have to wonder, is this why like God was, you know, giving us the red light? Mm -mm, Don't eat this. One more thing um, about the benefit of ruminant animals. Through the bacterial fermentation process that happens in their rumen, they actually make a beneficial omega-6 fatty acid, one that is good, one that you want to have, and it's called conjugated linoleic acid, also known as CLA. You may have heard of it. Not all omega-6s are bad, okay? Like I said, we need some. It's normal to get some through our diet, Uh, but we need the good kind. We need the kind that comes from real food, not processed vegetable oils, um, and not from animals fed corn and soy. We need to keep them in check with omega-3s. Now, what's very cool about CLA is that it converts food into energy more efficiently. It works in the body to help keep fat cells from becoming larger and can help with weight reduction, Studies also show that it's anti-carcinogenic. It reduces atherosclerosis. It enhances the immune system. It helps prevent diabetes, and it enhances bone formation. 
So all really good things. And the only way to get CLA is from food. I mean, you can supplement with it just like you could supplement with fish oil instead of eating fish, you know, to get your omega-3s. Um, but God naturally put these compounds into food, you know, omega-3s and CLA and you can get it from fish and beef. Okay. When they're eating their God-given diet. And, you know, these ruminants like cattle, they turn grass into omega-3s and CLA that our bodies can use. And that is truly the real food, the way God made it and the nutrition for our body. Okay, let's talk about shellfish. So let me read this to you as a little recap from Leviticus about the fish. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether it is in the sea or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the sea or the rivers that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. Detestable, my friend. <laughs> this version, detestable, says it a lot. Uh, so that's pretty clear. Okay, so there are two groups of shellfish. We have crustaceans. I had to like go back and have a little science, sciencey action going on. It's so funny. I was talking to my friend Jennifer uh, Winter. She's an NTP and she's a Feast of Ass coach. And um, we were just talking about how funny it is that neither one of us is really all, you know, has been in too much into science or anything like that. And we're like just laughing at God's um, sense of humor. She's like, oh, yeah, he's hilarious because... <laughs> It is all of this sciency, these sciency things really stretch my brain in a way that it is not used to. So anyway, back to science lesson. Okay. Crustaceans include shrimp, crab, and lobster, and mollusks include clams, mussels, oysters, scallop, and octopus. Octopus. Okay. And then of course, there's the fish that don't have fins or scales and include things like catfish, sharks, rays, and eels. Now, I have to be honest, I have a much tougher time with this commandment than the one on pork. I mean, pigs are one thing. We kind of expect them as dirty and common. You know, they're kind of known for that. I think of Pigpen and Charlie Brown, you know, pigs, dirty, gross. But lobster and shrimp and oysters, I mean, I kind of think of them as fancy foods, you know, a little more bougie, I guess because they're more expensive and harder to come by. But I just always associate them with... I don't know, special occasions and fancy dinners. Maybe it's because I didn't grow up eating seafood or fish, anything. My mom did not, doesn't like it. She still to this day doesn't like it. And so she never prepared it growing up and I did not eat it at all. Um, and didn't really try it until I started dating my first boyfriend in high school and his family ate it all the time. And so that's when I started eating it. And um, anyway, it just... To me, I don't know. It just feels fancier. People that live on the coast who eat it all the time are probably like, it's not fancy. It's just the food we can get. But anyway, and also I'm really, you know, I'm like, dadgummit, I just finally started to like raw oysters, you know, before I really started digging into all this. Um, I've actually liked raw oysters for a few years and I, but I purposefully tried to like them and wanted to like them and kept trying to eat them just like I kept doing with the sardines. Um, but try to eat oysters because they're so high in zinc. You know, they're so good for you in that way. They're the highest uh, food with zinc in them. That's the other hang up I have with this commandment is that some of these shellfish are 
good sources of protein, but also amazing sources of certain minerals that are kind of hard to come by in foods like, you know, iodine and selenium and, you know, again, zinc, so important for the body. And especially um, those are all important for the thyroid. And there's also a lesser known crustacean called krill. And it's a good source of omega-3 fatty acids. Going back to those omega-3s, you may have heard that or you may have been recommended to take krill oil. Um, krill oil also contains a potent antioxidant called astaxanthin. And you've probably heard me talk about that. You know, astaxanthin helps, uh, can help prevent sunburns. You know, it's like protection from the inside out. And it's something that I have added to my family's supplement list as summer approaches. Astaxanthin has that red pigment and it's what gives salmon and trout their reddish color. Uh, so those are good real sources of astaxanthin. But the question, you know, I have is why did God pack these, all these little creatures full of nutrients that we need and in some cases are hard to come by, but then forbid his people from eating them? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. But, you know, what I didn't realize until I started kind of poking around, um, and one of the sources and, and what I was reading was Dr. Jocker's website. He has a lot of good stuff about this. Um, but he said that, crustaceans well well I didn't have to get this from him I also saw other places but um but he you know says that crustaceans are like are scavengers they're kind of like pigs you know like the pigs of the ocean if you will and he describes them as the cleanup crew that breaks down dead and decaying mat matter and uh, Dr. Jockers actually describes lobsters lobsters as the vulture of the ocean you know God's people are also not directed to eat vultures and I assume it's for the same scavenging type of reason, which in general would put these animals at a greater risk of a toxic load, which could be passed on to us. Shrimp, lobster, and crabs are bottom dwellers that sweep along the ocean floor and eat debris and things that have died and floated to the bottom. So that doesn't sound too fancy. They're essentially getting the ocean scraps. You know, we have to keep in mind also that the toxic there's just toxins, toxic industry products like plastic and pesticides and other environmental pollutants end up at the bottom of the water where these bottom dwellers hang out. You know, and a lot of these have xenoestrogen, which are compounds that act like estrogen in the body and can lead to hormonal disruption and estrogen dominance. So there's this potential for them contributing that to your body as well. Um, and also shellfish are a top allergen. And apparently send more people to the hospital each year than any other food allergen response. Okay. Now with mollusks, um, you know, clams, oysters, scallops, and squid, um, they don't have scales or fins. So they are lumped into this category of what not to eat. Dr. Jockers explains that um, mollusks are found in coastal areas, streams, and lakes and are considered filter feeders. They are stationary creatures who don't hunt out food, but instead they pump water over their gills, trapping pieces of salt, silt, bacteria, plant debris, viruses, and parasites to consume. They are the ultimate filter feeders that exist to help purify the water. Okay, that's how Dr. Jockers describes it on his website. So it's great that they help purify water. I, mean, I like that, but it's not so great that they consume the impurities of the water. And their toxic load includes heavy metals that accumulate in our ocean. You know, so the bottom line here is that there's just overall this more potential uh, 
of more exposure to bad bacteria, parasites, heavy metals, toxins, xenoestrogens, you know, all of these things. Okay, so before, um, before we wrap up, I quickly want to share um, just two major, two other major directives here in Leviticus when it comes to birds and bugs. Okay, so we can just kind of have a full closure here. So Leviticus says, of the birds, the following ones must not be eaten. The eagle, the vulture, the kite, the falcon, the raven, the owl, the hawk, the osprey, the stork, the heron, the hoopy. I don't know if I said that right. H-O-O-P-O-E. And the bat. And then it says, it goes on to say, you can eat locusts, crickets, and grasshoppers, but every other flying insect that has four feet is detestable to you. Okay. I don't think many of us are too worried about not eating vultures, owls, or storks, right? We see vultures out here in the country all the time. Like in, when you see them, you kind of get alarmed. You know, if you see a bunch of them circling in the pasture, you're kind of like, oh, oh, what's dead? You know, we'll be driving and be like, oh, drive over there, see, see what it is. And you just pray it's not one of your, you know, animals, your cattle or your goat or your sheep or whatever it is. Um, and so now I kind of have this visual of pigs and shrimp being like vultures, you know, eating the dead things. You know, vultures are gross. You can see them eating the dead things. But that, that's kind of what we're hearing about all these other animals we're told not to eat. It's kind of gross. Um, but I did want to quickly touch on bug protein. <laughs> One for, I think it's interesting. And also because we know that John the Baptist, J to the B, as I like to call him, ate locusts and honey. You know, and so it just reminds me of studying the work of Dr. Weston A. Price, a dentist who traveled the world in the 1930s, studying nutrition of isolated indigenous people like the coastal Indians of Peru or their aborigines of Australia or the Eskimos. Um, he really he studied people who had not been exposed to white flour products, sugar and vegetable oils um, and had this beautiful teeth. You know, he was really like, OK, a dentist here in the U.S., like, why are all of these people have horrible teeth? You know, they have cavities. Their teeth are crowded. Um, we have to take out teeth. Their faces are narrow. And so, you know, one thing that he noticed with these indigenous people, these native people, was that they had these beautiful, straight, white teeth and that their skeletal skeletal structure, their they had a wide enough mouth and palate to uh, accommodate the teeth. You know, we think it's normal to have wisdom teeth pulled out today. But I mean, why would God give us teeth that we would need to have purposely extracted? It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, this is a conversation for another day. I think I keep, you know, randomly mentioning this in different podcasts. And, you know, we'll talk about it one day. Um, but I just, the reason I brought it up today is because I think it's interesting that during all of his travels, and studying these indigenous cultures, Dr. Price fully expected and was looking for native people solely thriving on plant food. You know, he was looking for vegans or vegetarians. That's what he expected to find them to be the healthiest people. But that's not what he found. He found no thriving vegan or vegetarian culture. Now, he did find varying degrees of plant and meat foods among the different people he was studying, you know, based on where they lived in the world and what foods were naturally available to them. But there was always some level of animal protein present, even if it was just a little bit. And in some cases, even if it was just bugs like crickets. Do y'all remember I was just talking about with Cambria last week about um, the cricket bars, <laughs> the cricket protein. You can try it. The exo bars, they're not too bad. Um, 
but anyway, I just, I just think that was interesting because, you know, as we're talking about all these, these food laws God gave that there were a few bugs that he gave us to eat. You know, if you're hard up, you need some animal protein, grab you some, grab you a locust and honey. That's good for J to the B. Um, now, you know, Dr. Price, he found native people all over the world eating different foods, like I said, but they did include pork and shellfish. So again, here, we're, as we're wrapping up, I, I just want to tell you, I don't have a, the answer for you. I, you know, I'm not telling you what to do one way or the other. I'm not even sure what I want to do with this information. Like I said, I, I gave up pork for Lent. Um, and I probably won't be purposefully buying shellfish, at least for a while. Just kind of see how that goes. It doesn't mean I'm not going to eat it if it's served to me, you know? not there yet. I'm not going to be like, no, I don't eat shellfish. I'm, I'm not there. Um, I'm just not going to be seeking it out as much, perhaps, and definitely not holding it in high esteem like I always have, right? It's been knocked down a few notches. Um, but again, what I do know is that there's no food that can come between you and the Lord. It is, has no bearing on our salvation. We are not bound by food rules. You are not a better or worse person if you eat or don't eat any of these foods, even if you live off sugar and white flour. You know, again, this discussion is more about, are, are these the ideal foods for our body? Do they present problems for our health and potentially more problems than we're aware of, but that our all-knowing God laid out, you know, as guidelines, knowing what would be best in the long game? You know, because maybe in biblical times, it was more about the risk of, eating undercooked proper, you know, improperly cooked pork or shellfish or something like that. Um, but maybe today it's more about the heavy metal or environmental toxicity, you know, bioaccumulating in these foods. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to add it to my list of things to ask God when I get to the pearly gates, but I'm really interested to hear what you think about this. You know, if it changes the way it'll approach you, you approach your food. Um, like I said, it's been on my mind for years, and I'm just now getting around to opening my mind around it. So no judgment here if you're like, uh, I'm not giving up my bacon. Man, that's cool. I feel you. But maybe maybe it makes you think twice about eating so much of it. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm going to woe up on that a little bit. You know, maybe I'm going to choose the, the salmon over the catfish. Catfish has never... That is not hard for me not to eat. Ugh, I don't like catfish. Um, but maybe you love catfish, you know. Maybe um, maybe you love all the shellfish. I mean, I really, I love scallops. I love lobster. Anyway, like I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. We'll see. I'm just taking in the information, just like you. And I'm so glad you're here for the information. Thank you. You know, and if you if you want to read more, I do like Dr. Axe and Dr. Jocker's website. And I'm going to link to some of their articles in the show notes if you want to check those out. The bottom line, again, is that, um, you know, as Christians, we're just known, we're known for our love. We're not known for our rules. That includes food rules. Um that is not the most important thing. But here in this space, since we talk about food so much, it is worth talking about, right? And just kind of examining it from a physical health level. Are these the best foods for our physical health? Should we eat them? And you have to make that decision for yourself, my friend. But again, I would love to hear um, your thoughts about it. 
and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.